The 4AM Club. Today I'm talking to Katya. Katya is a financial journalist and the most eccentric mom you will ever meet. She is our 4AM Club PTSD ambassador and always ready to share openly and honestly about her recovery. In this episode, Katya will be sharing her journey in losing her firstborn, losing herself, and the importance of self-care and identity outside of motherhood. Welcome, Katya. Thanks. So, Katya, when we spoke about doing a podcast, we were looking at your PTSD journey. And then, as we got closer to the time, you felt to share the importance of self-care in the face of losing a child. So would you like to expand on that? Absolutely. So for context, Avi is the name or nickname rather of my daughter, Aviel. She was born in 2020. She had a very rare genetic disorder called osteogenesis imperfecta, which affects bones. And We lost her just before she was six months old. She spent most of her life in hospital. Unsurprisingly, both my husband Alistair and I had post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, from that entire event. And then, relatively soon afterwards, we found out that I was pregnant with Joel, our second, which was very, very unexpected. And that led to a lot of changes in heart for me as a mom. But I've learned some interesting lessons that I feel like could be applicable in terms of finding yourself and putting that self, if not first, because that's just not realistic most of the time for us, then at least second or third in there somewhere, not last, basically. When you had Avi, it was a really sensitive time. And in the midst of all of that, you became very insular and very guarded and very small. So what was that like and how has that changed? Yes. So my my momhood journey was quite interesting. <laughs> and the irony was just spectacular because for me, growing up, I never wanted to be a mom. I also had like a real fear from a young age of losing myself as a mom, if I ever became a mom, because my mother was a single mom. She was very poor. We were her whole life and we would hear things when we were growing up like, I wanted to be a doctor before. And me as the firstborn, I heard before you came along. And so I was always really very scared of having kids. I married a man, Alistair, who always wanted kids and who convinced me after many years, I think it was close to five years of marriage, to say, actually, it wouldn't be the same as what your mom went through. She didn't have the support that we have for each other, the finances we have. It was a whole different scenario. And so eventually, I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's have a baby. And then, irony of ironies, Avi was born with a very hectic genetic disorder. She was born exactly one week before lockdown happened. And so I became her whole world. Mm -hmm. Alistair could only visit between 3 and 4 p.m. in the day. And so the parent who always wanted a kid Mm. 
couldn't parent. Mm. And me, the person who didn't want to be a parent, was this little baby's entire world. I was everything to her. If I felt tired, if I felt sick, and I didn't want to go to the hospital, then she didn't see anyone. Mm. It was, uh, there was nobody else to take some of the slack off and the pressure was quite crushing a lot of the time. And I was strongly encouraged to express breast milk because it was better for her, even though I couldn't produce much in the way of milk because I wasn't allowed to hold her most of the time or have a latch. And so I would talk to people when I was trying to squeeze out some breast milk. That was my kind of off time in the day. <laughs> there was only so much time to go around. So after all of that, because it was so absolutely hectic for six months for for six months I couldn't have told you on an average day what clothes I was wearing what food I'd put into my mouth that Alistair had made for me nothing it was just pure adrenaline and survival mode at the hospital three times a day every day and after that when Joel happened which was definitely a surprise the first thing that I did when I saw the pregnancy test was I just went to my best friend's house and I just cried. Joel is such a blessing, but it was not an easy pregnancy and it was not for me a particularly welcome pregnancy. So I vowed to myself, I am not going to be consumed in motherhood in the way that I had to be with Abby. I had no choice and I had no regrets about that. But now that the possibility of grandparents babysitting is on the table and of me going out and of me actually choosing what clothes I'm going to put on my body and what food I'm going to put in my mouth. I'm going to take that now. And I've been very glad that I, I made that choice. I have been very conscious of saying yes when people offer help. And when Alistair, who's an engineer, is away, I will tell people, Alistair's going to be away. Can they help me on Saturday or Sunday, whatever, because I need to go out. I need to see my friends. I'm an extrovert. For me, that's not a want, that's a need. My husband, who's now home much more often, is very supportive about saying, okay, you need to go out. I need to not go out. <laughs> I'm going to keep the baby and you go and you do your thing. And I try and keep the the thoughts of I've asked my mom already this week once I can't ask her again or she she had him last week I, I don't want to push it I try and keep that in check and I try and tell myself you know what I've told people if it's too much tell me if you can't take care of Joel cool that's not a problem just let me know if you don't tell me I'm going to assume you're okay with it and I am going to ask you if I need help and it's worked out so far. Luckily, Joel is, for most people, absolutely adorable. And I have a long list of happy babysitters. And I try and take as much advantage of that as I can. That sounds cold-hearted and transactional. But it isn't supposed to be. It's supposed to be a kind of a fixing your oxygen mask mm. first. I would say whatever is important to you. Not in terms of what other people might think is important, but whatever you consider close to your concept of yourself, 
find a way to guard that. You will be amazed at how you can find a way to, to prioritize stuff when you want to. For example, anyone who knows me knows I love my tea. I need tea to function. I grew up in an English household where tea was the thing. And so when Joel was a newborn and he was crying in the morning, he had very bad colic and silent reflux. When he would cry, I would go and fetch his bottle and I would make his bottle first thing in the morning. But at the same time, I would make my tea. Mm. Like I'm giving you what you need and I'm giving me what I need at the same time. I put on songs that I like mm. to calm him down. Not only the happy song by Imogen Heath. We, are, we love the happy song. <laughs> we will also play the strokes to jobs and that's fine. So both you and Hannah on the group especially are really encouraging around the guilt moms feel to want to work and are happy to work. Would you like to share a bit around prioritizing your career as a mom? I, weirdly enough, don't have a lot of guilt about mm. working. I've learned that this is rare, apparently. That I think comes from my upbringing. Because my mom was a single parent and because there was no other option, she always worked until five, six at night. From a young age, I would walk home or go to aftercare or sort myself out and that was okay. And there was never any real question of how could you work? <laughs> it was her working and putting food on the table or us not eating. Those were the options. And so for me, I didn't really have a sense of how could I work, which is interesting because technically and theoretically, I'm probably one of the few moms that I know who could maybe afford to not work simply because my husband earns a high salary. But for me, I have a career. It's not just a job for me. I have a passion about finance and I wanted to continue in my trajectory of writing about that. And I very much had to put that on hold with Avi. I had my own business, which was about three years old when Avi was born. And I had to basically just shut that down. I couldn't keep it going and be at the hospital three times a day. And so when I got back into the job market, about six months after she had passed away, I found a renewed sort of interest in work. And it sounds a bit dramatic, but it was so nice to find that I still was interested in something, that I still cared what the markets were doing. And so that was really great for me. And I wanted to hold on to that feeling. So I didn't really feel any guilt about going back to work or about to Everybody on both sides seems to have very strong opinions on the other one. All the moms at home have very strong opinions about the working moms. And likewise, all the working moms have very strong opinions, mostly because I think we just trigger each other. But for me, it was honestly a lesser problem, to be blunt, than the problem I had had of, oh my word, am I even going to be interested in life anymore after this? And so it wasn't the case of, I should be at home with Joel. That was a case of, wow, I want to do something. This is great. Let me go do it. <laughs> Let's find a wonderful person to take care of Joel until 4 p.m. And let me do it. 
And what I want most of all with Jill is I want to be able to have a self to give him. I want him to be able to tell people, this is what my mom is like. This is, you know, the kind of music she likes or the kind of food she likes or the kind of clothes that she wears. And he doesn't have to find that particularly important, but I will know that I have prioritized that stuff. I will know that I have kept my love of those simple things like music tastes or tea or whatever alive. And that will enable me to be able to take care of him from a place of having a self to give. And that's important for me. And that's what I want for him. Katia, thank you so much for your vulnerability and your honesty. I hope that many people will find that as encouraging and inspiring as I did.